Not surprisingly, the jury in the Chauvin case came back with verdicts of guilty on all three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter. Um, The uh, case will be appealed, and uh, the judge himself indicated that he thought that Maxine Waters' uh, attempt to intimidate the jury, that's not his words, he just said his statement, her statement, uh, might very well provide uh, appellate issues. I think it does provide appellate issues. In fact, I think that the conviction, though I think morally justified, there's no way you can in any way try to justify what Chauvin did morally to a George Floyd knee on the neck for nine minutes and a few seconds, particularly the last uh, three or four minutes, totally unjustified from a moral point of view and from a police practice point of view. But the question is, was it murder? Uh, Was it manslaughter? Was it a a crime? Those are issues the jury was supposed to resolve based on the law and the facts. And uh, I worry, and I think civil libertarians generally should worry, that the jurors may have been influenced by the threats, the intimidation, the sword of Damocles hanging over them. Everybody in the country knew that if there were an acquittal, or a verdict less than murder, there would be violence in the streets. Basically heard it from the people uh, on the streets. We heard it from CNN. All over CNN, there were essentially threats that the country would burn down unless the, quote, correct verdict were rendered. Well, what is the correct verdict as a matter of law? In my view, it was manslaughter, not murder. I don't think the elements of the crime of murder have been made out. That, of course, will be a subject of appeal. But even if all the elements had been made out, I don't have confidence that this verdict was uninfluenced by the external threats, the threats by very uh, many people outside the courtroom, most prominently, of course, the Reverend Sharpton and Congresswoman uh, Waters, but uh, lawyer Crump as well, and others. Um, Basically, everybody knew, the mayors of cities knew, the police chiefs knew, that there was only one verdict in this case that would assure uh, peace, and that verdict was guilty on all of the charges, particularly guilty on the murder charge. And there's no doubt in my mind the jurors knew that. The judge made a tragic mistake, I think reversible error, not allowing, not requiring the jurors to be uh, sequestered. Jurors should always be sequestered in cases like this. I think he made a, a tragic mistake and reversible error, though less so, when he allowed the case to be conducted in Minneapolis, uh, where the buildings would be burned down and where uh, businesses would be attacked rather than in some rural area of Minnesota. He also made a mistake by allowing the trial to go forward uh, right after the city settled for $27 million, claims brought by the family of George Lloyd. Uh, Altogether, uh, I don't I don't have confidence that the verdict was not influenced by outside forces. Well, people say, well, it was the right verdict. It was a just verdict. Well, well, maybe, but you need a just means to achieve a just end. It was Justice Felix Frankfurter who once said, the history of liberty for the most part is a history of procedure, a history of process, a history of making sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, uh, a history of making sure that jurors aren't influenced by what goes on outside the courtroom, by statements that are not subject to cross-examination or admissibility rulings by the judge. 
I'm not assured of that in this case. Uh, I think there may have been some jurors, maybe most jurors, maybe all jurors, who consciously or unconsciously were thinking to themselves as they evaluated the evidence and as they listened to the instruction on the law, I know that if I were to vote for acquittal or for a lower degree of homicide than murder, it might affect me personally, my business, my neighborhood, the value of my home, my children's school, my own personal safety. Uh, Jurors learned what happened to a witness in the case, a defense witness, whose former house was covered with blood um, because he testified for the defense. Jurors learned of the threats uh, administered against the defense lawyers in this case. Uh, After the case was over, of course, the leaders of the African-American community praised the jurors and celebrated the jurors. Imagine what their response would be if the jurors had come to a verdict other than murder. And you just can't have that thumb on the scale of justice. In this case, it wasn't a thumb, it was an elbow. And so the case will be appealed. Uh, The first appeal will be uh, in um, Minnesota itself. And I don't think that Minnesota judges will have the courage to reverse this conviction any more than the trial judge uh, had the courage, which he didn't have, to grant a mistrial. I could see that deep in his heart, he was saying to himself, there ought to be a mistrial in this case. But he was also thinking, if I grant a mistrial now, there'll be riots in the street and I'll be blamed for the riots. And uh, even though the riots were the fault of people like, like Maxine Waters, but the judge would be blamed for it. And the judge didn't have the courage to do it, but he did at least put in the record that he thought there were appealable issues, and he did condemn what uh, Maxine Waters had said, justly condemned it, and that's exactly right. There are other appellate issues in this case. I do not think the law of felony murder, which is second-degree murder in Minnesota, applies to the underlying felony being assault. Um, Felony murder is supposed to apply only to independent felonies. You rob a bank, somebody dies, it's felony murder. You commit a rape, the victim dies, it's felony murder. Here you have the killing resulting from the assault. You can't separate those two out. If, if you maintain that view of felony murder, then every shooting becomes felony murder because every shooting involves an assault. When you point the gun at somebody, that's an assault. When you fire the, the bullet, that's a battery. And then the bullet enters the body and the person dies. That's one transaction, one event. You can't separate them out and say the assault is the underlying felony and the death is the result of the assault. That would eliminate all differences in degrees of homicide. Every homicide would become a felony murder under that absurd view of felony murder. Look, I've been teaching felony murder for 50 years. I have argued felony murder cases in the United States Supreme Court and in other courts. This is just not the right approach to felony murder. The second-degree murder conviction should be reversed. The same thing is true of the third-degree murder conviction, which was originally thrown out by the judge, but the appellate courts sent it back. The statute, I'm not quoting it now, but the statute provides that the person, the defendant, has to oppose the great danger to others. Now, others in the context of that statute 
obviously means somebody other than the victim himself. It means the type of case that we saw when the police shot into a darkened room in response to a shot fired at the police and a woman in the room was killed and the police officers, the ones who shot but didn't kill the woman, were arrested because they posed a danger to others, not the woman who was shot and killed, but others. And so I think both second and third degree murder should be reversed on appeal. A manslaughter sounds like there is a firm basis for a conviction of manslaughter. I believe the government proved its case of causation beyond a reasonable doubt, but I don't think it proved second to third degree murder beyond a reasonable doubt. We'll see what the appellate courts say about that. Criminal statutes have to be crystal clear to be applied, and they can't be changed and applied retroactively. It was um, Thomas Jefferson who once said that a criminal statute has to be so clear that a reasonable person has to be able to understand it if he reads it while running. Now, I've read these statutes a dozen times while sitting. I've taught these statutes for 50 years. I do not understand these statutes to apply to the conduct at issue in this case. The only statute that I think applies is the statute involving manslaughter. Now, in one ironic sense, if the courts are going to look at the outside pressures of this case and are going to look at the influences that Maxine Waters and others may have had on the jury, if they're going to do that, then, ironically, it may benefit Chauvin that he was convicted of all three charges. If he had been acquitted of the top charge, say, second-degree murder, and convicted of the other two, an appellate court might say, well, obviously, uh, the influence of the outside didn't affect the verdict. Look, they didn't convict on second-degree murder, or if they convicted on just manslaughter. But convicting on all three counts in the face of real doubts about the guilt on second- and third-degree murder, I think, gives substance to the claim that this jury verdict may well have been influenced by outside uh, pressures. So what's going to happen now? He's been hauled off to jail. Uh, he's not gotten bail pending appeal. Um, there will be a sentencing hearing. Uh, his lawyer will write a sentencing brief arguing that he has no prior convictions and he shouldn't get the top 40-year sentence. Uh, maybe they'll split the difference and give him 20 or 25. They're not going to give him a low sentence because that too would result in uh, external uh, threats and uh, uh, possible violence, certainly street confrontations. So he'll get a very, very substantial sentence. Then he'll appeal the case to the courts of appeals in Minnesota. I do not think the Minnesota courts will have the courage to reverse this conviction because a reversal of this conviction could very well result in even more uh, demonstrations and, and worse. But then the case will come to the United States Supreme Court. It will not be an automatic appeal. It will have to go up on a writ of certiorari. The Supreme Court only grants very, very, very few writs of certiorari, but they might very well grant it in this case, because this case raises a profound issue that affects more than just conviction, because we're going to see many, many more of these trials conducted in an atmosphere of identity politics, where people on the streets and CNN and others are going to be demanding conviction. And the question for the Supreme Court is what does the Constitution require a judge to do in a case like this? I think it requires them to do a lot more than the judge in this case did. 
Every generation or so, the Supreme Court takes a case like this. They took one or two in the 20s and the 30s, and then uh, the famous uh, case of, of Shepard, which led to a television uh, series called The Fugitive. Uh, the case was litigated uh, brilliantly by F. Lee Bailey to the United States Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court reversed the conviction. <coughs> that was some time ago. The time has come, particularly in light of identity politics and the uh, great uh, concern for uh, justice inside the courtroom by people outside the courtroom, I think the time has come for the Supreme Court to take a good hard look at what the Constitution requires. And I think the Constitution now requires sequestration. In cases of this kind, and it also requires that the case not be tried necessarily in the place and at the time or near the time when passions are very, very high. And so this case is not over. It's far from over. The judge essentially invited the defense to appeal the case, told them that an appeal might be granted and the whole case might be thrown out based on what he regarded as despicable behavior, um, unconscionable behavior, by Congresswoman uh, Waters. Uh, wouldn't it be ironic and wouldn't it be terrible if a conviction were to be thrown out and violence resulted because of Maxine Waters and a potentially guilty person go free? Now, obviously, if the conviction were reversed, it wouldn't be reversed and the defendant acquitted or released. It would be reversed for a new trial. And the court would order a new trial with a sequestered jury it then would be years after the events in question, so the trial probably could take place at that point in, in Minneapolis, but with a sequestered jury, and who knows what the result might be. Maybe a conviction of manslaughter, maybe a conviction of manslaughter and murder three, maybe a repetition of the verdict in this case, murder two, murder three, and manslaughter. I do not have confidence in this verdict. I do not believe necessarily that this verdict was based solely on the evidence and the law in the courtroom. I fear, and I think reasonable civil libertarians, Republican, Democrat, black or white, conservative, liberal, should worry that this jury verdict may have been influenced by forces outside of the courtroom, particularly by the intimidating statements made by Maxine Waters just before the jury was sequestered, Statements that clearly got to the jury. You know, the judge told them, don't watch the news. Well, nobody watches the news these days. People don't get the news from the news. They get them from social media. They get them from friends. They get them from newspapers. They get them from the radio driving to work. They don't get them from watching the news. The judge's instruction was far, far too narrow. And I am not confident that the statements outside the courtroom and the threats outside the courtroom were not communicated to the jurors. President Biden made a statement, but he was careful and he was correct. He made the statement after the jury was sequestered. That was the right time to make it. If Maxine Waters wanted to make a statement, she should have made it after the jury was sequestered. But statements made while the jury is capable of hearing those statements should result in a mistrial if the statements can be understood by jurors as threatening and intimidation and putting the thumb of fear on the scale of justice. That's my view on The Durr Show. I'd be interested in knowing what your view is. You can still call in 
I'll take calls from you, and when the occasion arises, I'll have a show in which I answer your calls. But keep listening to The Dirt Show in whatever format it is. We're going audio at this point. We may continue audio. We may go back to video. We're not sure. It's a work in progress. But keep listening and keep sending me your views on The Dirt Show.